for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Here we go. We're back for our final part four of the Basics to Becoming an Elk Hunter series. If you're looking to hunt elk for the first time, or even if you've hunted elk and you've been feeling overwhelmed with all the information out there, the goal of this series is to keep it as simple as possible. It's been a fun ride from gear to camping and calling and all the tactics. Up next, we finish out with aspects of closing the deal, from shot focus to reading body language of the animals, and then the basics of being ready for success after the shot, tracking, breaking them down, and packing them out, all simplified. So, my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Oh. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And as always, for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, pull up a chair and welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, coming to you from Spring, Texas, and joining me tonight's crew, we've got the Gila Ridge runner himself, Mr. Eric Aragon, one of our <laughs> awesome elk bros, oh, elk hunting coaches, and we've got, that's right, we've got the boys from Cimarron, fresh off of a big hog hunting trip over here in the Lone Star State and Oklahoma, we got WWJGD and the Ninja, Leroy Chavez. <laughs> in the house what's up oh, fellas only one on? of the Cimarron boys made it that's true <laughs> Chad, are you feeling better buddy 
Yeah, I'm feeling a lot better. Did you have the crud, man? Yeah, I think uh, my aller- allergies turn into a cold of some kind. Man, I'm over it now. Me, so. well, we no, missed dude, you terribly. No, no, Bad no, timing. He was faking it. He he did not want <laughs> he, he did not want to lose one week of that uh, competition we got going on with, <laughs> with our <laughs> with our working out with our Canadian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah. got you guys gained about six to ten. He lost about six to ten. So no doubt, man. Yeah. Especially with the mafia but, cooking for you. Oh man. man! But you know what? I thought I smelled bacon when I got on this call earlier. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah man, on. it happened. I thought I smelled some hog, baby. Well, uh-huh. well Chab, I wanted to tell you, man, we missed you. But I, I wanted. I told Joe. I said, "Tell Chab he could be sick in camp versus being sick at home. It's the same sick, man. Tell him to come on, man. We missed you, brother. That's for sure. But uh, yeah, uh, the drought it. is over for Mister Jimmy yeah. and the Texas swine or Oklahoma." swine they come back and forth across that red river so i mean they could be texas swine or oklahoma <laughs> swine but he got it done man we're so proud of him uh i shot a little blurb on my way home man kind of really talking about failure points and stuff like that i'm yeah. i'm sure joe will probably put it uh in the in the academy or something uh, along those lines but it was so fun to watch him actually go through the motions of shooting and look i'm i'm telling you i watched him all week um, I watched him, you know, belabor some things and then we kind of got together there on that last afternoon and Joe put it all together and I saw a few things in his shooting form that maybe we could shore up a little bit. And listen, man, dude, dude is the best closer. Uh, you know, I've learned from some of the best, but Joe is the best closer in the world when he gets around a critter and, uh, he actually called in a critter close to him and then sealed the deal at what, 15 yards, Joe? 12, about 12. 12 yards. Yeah, 12. Yeah. So, yeah. and then, and then put him down. I mean, uh, old, old poor piggy died in a big, uh, creek bed creek. <laughs> full, full of water and everything. So yeah. he was floating. He got tenderized and pulverized all in one <laughs> whack, man. Uh, you didn't have to, you didn't have to buy a new blind. <laughs> no, <laughs> dude, I was. I was going to blind. I was stalking, oh, dude. I was stalking. That's the way to do it. And, and so get this though, and and I want you know because I know Luis is going to watch this, and Luis gives me heck. He, he threw up this video of this guy. You know, I've been restrengthening. You know, I went went with Mountain Physio, um, with Doc over there, and he got me straight. And I mean, I tell you what, my draw is the best form I've ever had in my life. And, you know, we did, um, Luis and I did a stalk. We were stalking pigs. And then as it's getting dark, we went and jumped into a blind, um, because that's the, your best opportunity at that point in time, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, the, you know, first thing Luis does is like, all right, dude, better check to make sure that you can draw, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I put that thing up and crank that puppy back, man. He's like, all right. Yeah. Okay. We're good to go. And, mm-hmm. you know, I really wanted to talk a little bit about that pig hunt because, you know, I imagine people listening that, you know, they hear us talk about that and they're like, well, what does a hog hunt have to do with hunting elk? A lot. And, and, and I just want to, and, and you guys can throw in some other things, but Here's the way I see it. You know, when I was talking, it was myself and it was Manano. 
together. And Manano is just a fantastic hunter. I mean, he's been hunting these pigs forever. And I had actually done a walkabout on the property. We had a big rainstorm the day before, and I did a walkabout. And the reason was I wanted to check the area to look for tracks, just like I would exactly what I would do if I was elk hunting, man. Identify using that fresh rain where those fresh track are and where these animals are moving to, right? So I'm, I did that all that morning, and there was one location only on that place that I really found fresh track and stuff tore up. Everything else had stayed bedded. So I told the dudes, I was like, just like these elk, man, is if they're staying bedded all this time, it is going to be busy this evening, right? Yeah, yeah. So me and Manano head out, and he's like, Joe, he said, you know, well, he didn't say that. He's like, Joe, that's the bit, you know? So he's like, <laughs> you got to go. He said, that's where, man, we can stalk through there. And they just like to bed in this thick stuff. And so we drop down into this creek and we start coming up the other side, just like going up a ridge on the other side, as thick as heck. There's, there's big old brush piles and stuff, but you know, a lot of trees, a lot of cover, perfect place for these pigs to bed down and to stay cool. Right. And he's like, he's like, they love to bed in this stuff, man, and they'll stay there till you know, and they'll bust out. Well, Manano's twenty yards ahead of me, and he goes up, and sure enough, two boars bust out on him over on the side in this one place. So we got pigs already, right? We're already seeing them. Well, but I told him I was like, dude, you better let me go first because if they're going to pop out, he had a shot on them if he'd have had a bow, but he was carrying a rifle just in case he needed some backup for something. Plus. I had some snake visitors the day before, some big old moccasins that I that I took a picture of and kind of freaked them out a little bit. So he wanted something just in case. Well, as we start going and we're and we are just we are just moving like smoke through this stuff, right? And you're checking out the thick area thick areas that they bed down in. And I have another pig spots us and goes out and busts out on that. So, man, we're like, crap, man, that's another one. So we start, he's like, up on top, let's move up. And we get up there, and we kind of go up just like you would on a ridge on a little bench. And we get up there, and he's he points out three areas. He's like, man, they and they're big old clumps. He says, they love those spots right there. Well, this is where the elk hunting part came in, and, I, and I'll tell you why here in a second. But as we're doing it, man, we're searching these things with our eyes and trying to spot those pigs bedded in there. Well, as I get close to the first one, and, I mean, we hadn't looked at it, buddy, but as soon as I did, we hear we hear something bust out on the side, and it goes on the other side, and it goes, it just blows, it just snorts at me from the other side. Now, yeah. we have the wind, of course, hunting like we do, just like we would for hunting now. We got the wind in our face, and... We actually, the sun was not at our back because of the way the whole ridge was situated. So it was hard for us to see the pig through the thick stuff with the sun. But it snorts at me on that other side. So at this point, at this point, I'm like, look, either we try something or that pig goes away, right? Just the same thing I would do if I was elk hunting. You know, you consider your odds and your options. We can 100% not get that animal just by letting it walk away, or we can try something and create an opportunity. Well, when that pig snorted at me, in my mind, it was no different than 
an elk barking or bark chuckling at me. It was kind of like a, a deer does, you know, when they try to get you to move, right? Yeah. Or an antelope does when they're trying to get, you know, they'll do that at you, right? So in my mind, I was like, oh, man, it doesn't know what I am. So I just snorted right back at it, just right, just exactly the way it yeah. did at me. And the doggone pig stops and looks our way. Now, the funny thing is, Manano's behind me who's been hunting these pigs forever, and he had his phone out, and he was going to video what was going on. And as soon as I blew at that pig, he went, ooh, it's over. He starts putting his phone in his pocket. Joe just yeah, blew it. What is he doing, man, yeah. like that? The pig dude starts coming back to me. Right? Yeah. He starts coming this and she comes. It's a big old sow. She starts coming and Manana goes, bro, it's there. And I'm like, I see it, man. I could see the tufts, you know, barely the fur in the sunlight. Right? So, but it's standing there looking at us. And I'm like, well, I walked three or four yards when I blew at it the first time. I do it again. Here it comes. It just keeps coming just like that. Stops not in my window. Right. So I'm like, I still need it to move. So I do it one more time, throwing it off into a direction. And here it comes just like that. As soon as it's going, we are in this thick, thick stuff. And I'm actually going to show the video on this sometime. We're in this thick, thick stuff. And I barely have these little tiny windows through it. And as that pig's coming, it's getting ready to hit there. So I come back in that thick stuff and I draw back. And as soon as that pig steps into that spot, I blow it out again. It stops. It's frontal to me, directly at. I'm just, and what's so cool is I'm using that easy V. Everything's locked in place. I'm looking at my spot, waiting, waiting. The pig turns a little bit quarter and giving me that front shoulder. And boom. And I mean, all you can hear is, and I mean, it goes from front, it sticks out yeah. the back about that far. From the rooter to the tutor. <laughs> and that pig... <laughs> okay. It it turns and hauls. Now it's a steep downhill, so it's running down the hill, hits the creek at the bottom, and just dies in the creek. And, uh I mean, the whole uh, – there's so many different things that happen in that scenario. The way that we were using the ridge, the way that we were – finding those benches on the side that they were bedding in, the way that we were using the wind, and the way that I had something, I, I could either just let it walk out of my life or I could try something. Uh, yeah. Right? So, yeah. yeah. So that's basically enough. And look, for all y'all listening, man, I see so many people that when an elk's coming in on them and going by, they don't want to draw because they're afraid they're going to spook the animal or they don't want to call, you know, to try to bring it up. They're worried that their calling is not good enough. Well, look, if you don't do and try some of these things, you're not going to create opportunities. If you don't draw on an animal walking by, you're guaranteeing that animal to walk out of your life. Gotta draw. It's, Gotta it's draw. just about odds, man. So. It, it, I tell you, um, the arrow that I used was one of the arrows that Luis has made for me. Um, I also had the DCA veins, the new DCA sabers on that. Um, and I, uh, 
you know, Manano's like, he sees what happened, you know, that hole in that end and said, what the heck were you shooting? And it was my Wasp 125 SSTs, man. Those big hammers that I use. And I mean, the arrow, that arrow just, you know, <clears throat> the energy behind it was amazing because these pigs are so tough, man. And it's, it's a great, it's, it's a great thing to, to practice on, you know, and, and I'll tell you this, like RC was out there and, and both RC and I, you know, are going through this kind of the same journey. And what Gil is talking about is for me, the toughest part has been, you know, making sure that my anchor, because when you're instinctive and you're always pulling to your nose, it's always the same place, man. Always. And now that I'm, you know, trying to find that spot, that sweet spot that feels so good. When I was there, there was one thing that Gil noticed, and it's something that can get solved with a peep, but I don't, I really want to keep it as simple as possible and don't want to do a peep. So um, I have just the kisser and just a nose button on there. But one thing I was doing was I was letting my string my my string on my bow or my bow was canting a little bit one way or the other and that was changing how it was coming out for me and as soon as Gil said something about that he was like bro check out your bubble for a second which I don't like to do because again it's something complicated but as soon as he said that and I was there I just turned to I saw my string lined up with my bow that was all I did you know to make sure it was the same and I mean all of a sudden Things are just popping. <laughs> you yeah. went from groups like that to groups like that, man. I mean, it was I like daylight and dark. It's a great reminder. Yeah. yeah, daylight and dark. And, I mean, we all have to have that confidence when we go into woods. If we don't have that confidence, a lot of that uh, analysis by paralysis by analysis, yeah. we, we will, we will 100% lock up in that moment of truth because we're not 100% confident about what we're going to do, you know? So I felt like that just gave Joe even more confidence to go out there and, oh, and, and knock it out, right? Cause look, I mean, RC's been the same way up and down with that dadgum site and, you know, this, that, and other. And, you know, he had a couple things go wrong for him. We saw pigs every day, every, every evening, every after, every morning. And I mean, he had, it a was a target rich environment for was. sure. And, and, uh, he had a couple of things go wrong for him that were controllable, that were controllable by ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. And you guys will hear about that, uh, on, on some pod, on some podcasts or even in our, our academy, uh, on the failure points, man. Right. Uh, I talk about the two biggest ones were number one, drawing your bow and then having your bow silent, you know, um, in, in RC had just one little part of his rest that was really loud and noisy and we fixed it. And man, it was no problem with him getting critters to draw back on, you know, yeah. but in the first one he drew back on, it sounded like a violin made an evil hiss, right? <laughs> like the devil went down to Georgia and, the, and that bow made an evil hiss. Son. It went, and man, them pigs blew up like somebody dropped a bomb in the middle of them, man. They, they didn't know which way to run. So they tried to run right at the blind and, uh, it freaked us all out. But, uh, 
And and then I ended up killing one of the biggest hogs I've killed with a rifle. I mean, an absolute toad. 209 uh, pounds, man. I yeah, mean, 209 or 10 pounds. I mean, yeah. it was an absolute toad. And I wanted the guys to go back home with some, some meat. So I always bring my spoke pole and I say this all the time, just kidding with all of them that bows are for hunting, rifles are for killing. And, uh, Joe, Joe got it done. And, uh, I sent him home with a little bit more meat too. So, Chav, you ought to be able to get some bacon from Joe for sure. <laughs> Joe brought home Good. the bacon, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was awesome, man. And, and all of us, we got together to have our meeting, discuss so many things. We're working on Elk Bros Corp and everything that we're doing there. A lot of cool stuff. We got to talk about the cool things going on right now and continue our planning for, you know, the, we, we got the coach hunts that coming up. Um, yep are currently um we have only two spots on our coach hunts right now um so whoever gets those will be hunting with us in late September here in New Mexico uh it's if you don't know what that's about go to elkbros.com/hunt and uh check it out but it is it is a completely different deal for the price of what most people are paying for a tag. You're getting an Elk Bros coach. You're getting two months of coaching prior to boots on the ground. You're getting so much education um, that it's unbelievable, and you get to apply that with us actually with you in the field. So that's an incredible opportunity. Um, and then we've got our giveaway and. You know, the giveaway, me and Eric were talking about this before. Well, yeah, I, Gil wasn't in on it, but today's my last show, Gil. I'm resigning from the Elk Bros because <laughs> I saw the, I saw the, I start, you guys on the last podcast had the, all the prize packages and I'm like, you know what, man? I'm quitting. I'm not, I'm not quitting. I want to be in I'm, on that. Huh? I, I, I want to be in on that trailer, man. It's got my name on it. So. And I joke, called Joe. Cool. I said, "Yeah, I think I'm going to resign, dude, because I, I can't draw. I got to draw for this thing." <laughs> well, and, uh, yeah. and whoever's listening to the show, you need to get in on this thing. It's get, go to the website. Just look at look at all the price packages. That's that's a deal of a lifetime, right there, man. It's look, unbelievable. The odds are better than any New Mexico draw odds, man. It really by is. far. Yeah, well, far. and we were talking about that, and I and I'm not. Uh, I'm not scared to, to say, man, you know, Eric was asking me, he's like, dude, man, what are like, you know, 6,000 entries, 10,000 entries? I'm like, no, dude, there's 40 right now. We're two <laughs> yeah. weeks in, we have 40 entries, and in that amount <laughs> is a 28,000, I have 26,000, it's a $28,000 overland camper, um, that our buddy, um, Steve Harrell over at Drifter Trailers out of Springfield, Georgia. Steve, man, I tell you, I, I talked to him and what an incredible human being this guy is who loves the value of what we're doing for education for people. And here, here's the trailer. If you've got YouTube, if you don't, you can go and look at it right here, what this looks like. It is just incredible. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm not able to say enough about Steve and, no, man, for sure. and for them partnering with us to do this, you know, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. And, and you know what? When he made that camper, he said, look, I'm doing an Elk Bros edition. You guys can have it for the Elk Bros or you can put it in your giveaway. And we were like, look, this is about our grinders. This is an opportunity 
for people out there that might not for $75 for $75 you have the opportunity not only to win this but you've seen the prize package man sure. there are thousands of dollars of gear inside this um and you and that's not even to say that you you're going to win an elk hunt. You're going to get a unit wide tag. You're going to get months of education with our success squad. You're going to come into our camp. You're going to hunt. We're going to be your coach. We're going to help you out. We're going to help you change that learning curve because our goal is to make you a solid, successful, confident DIY hunter. And here's the, here's the one thing that really makes me proud is the four guys. Tom, Mike, we had Larry, um, we had Adam. Adam. The four guys that came in camp last year, incredible human beings, right? All four guys are out. They've already got everything set up. They're going to, they're out hunting together again this year. You know, they're they're excited. Um, You know, they've been contacting us and, that makes me so proud that that fire is lit like that and that passion is there and they're just feeling confident and they're going to go out there on their own. They're going to get that done. So, um, you're just making it so much harder for me. And not only the trailer, yeah. now, now, now I want to, now I want to hunt with the elk bros. It was such a privilege. To hunt. It was such a privilege to hunt with those guys today. I was up in Longview. It, uh, going and seeing customers, Longview, Texas, and I met with a guy named Graham Thompson. He didn't know anything about our podcast, or, but he loves elk hunting, he loves bow hunting. So we talked about it, and then he wants, well, what's the difference between a coach to hunt and a guided hunt? And I told him, and he goes, dude, there's nobody doing that. You know, and oh. I'm like, for sure. Mm-hmm. I said, and that's the way, you know, I said, look, you can give a man a fish and feed him for a day, but you don't teach a man to fish and feed him feed his family for his life, you know? Yep. And, uh, he was like, Oh, it makes so much sense. So, um, there's a lot of traction around this man. Uh, again, you know, Joe just said there's a 40 some odd entries. I mean, you're going to win one out of, I mean, the, right now it's one <laughs> out of 40, right? One out of 40. So, I mean, right there's no odds like that in the country on any draw. So, uh, our grinders need to get in in the middle of that and, uh, knock <laughs> it out of the park. Cause, it's uh definitely going to be an, an awesome experience. It was last year. Uh, Big O and the crew plan on being there, so um, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. Now, I, I, I to be transparent, I am lying a little bit, uh, not intentionally, because some <laughs> of those people um, have also gone into our store, and if you if you buy a gift card for an academy for somebody else, or if you spend fifty dollars in our store for every fifty dollars, you get an additional entry. entry gotcha. So we have some people that have gotten uh, some multiple entries inside there. And what's so cool about that is you're not just putting money in that is going to disappear. You're coming mm. out with stuff. You're coming out with, you know, you put that $75, you're getting our course. You're getting an incredible education that you might be spending anyway. Uh, just to get that. And here's an opportunity in doing that to win this camper, to win, uh, you, man, that we've got initial ascent, uh, pack there. We've got, uh, a ticket to Dan Staten's L-shaped camp. We've got hit or misses put in, uh, a, a compound bow in, in there. And for our second place, we have a Texas hog hunt 
down with the with the elk bros in South Texas as well. And I mean that. And you just got to come to camp, man. They're taking care of you, food, lodging, everything, man. Everything. Yeah. Bring bring you something to bring your hog meat in, or we'll discard them. Either either way, if you want to eat them, there we we feed them really well, so they taste really good. But a lot of guys don't want to mess with them. But they're an epidemic for us. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely, we can't wait to have uh, somebody win that trip and come hang out with us and be me and the mafia, and hopefully we can get Joe and a crew to come on down and uh, enjoy some South Texas fun. And yep. if you listen, bring your earplugs for Manano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's a professional snorer, man. So yeah. And if put you him listen, at the other end of the trailer, man, if those folks <laughs> listening think that this is a, is a sell job that I'm trying to give, you're absolutely correct. It is because yeah. I do not want anybody to miss out on the opportunity for some of these things. And f- for the return on the investment is out Sick. the, uh, yeah, it's out the roof, man. Yeah, so you can't lose. Yep. You, there is no way you, you you're not going to lose, man. So Eric, let's how about over. you lead us off on our Elk Bros mailbox, brother? Yeah, I'm ready to do that. Let me kick this one off. So. Got a question in this week from um, Scott Hamilton. Well, now, wait a second. Question. When I saw that Scott Hamilton, I'm like, is that the ice cream? The- <laughs> no. No. <laughs> I'm just, hey, you know, I mean, you never know. Could be. Here's an interesting question. So it says, I have a question that's never been talked about on your show. It says, I'm a hound hunter that pursues bear, and I noticed a couple of the over-the-counter uh, zones open the same day as elk season starts. How does this affect the elk and if it does affect them at all? Um, that just, I don't know where you're hunting at. I know just in New Mexico, uh, during the, the archery hunts. So from September 1st to the 24th, you can buy a bear tag, but you're not allowed to use dogs. You can use a prior. There's a season starts in early, um, late August. It ends like August 31st and then, and then after that, but, um, I would oh, remember there was some years ago when you could use dogs during that time. Yeah. And I actually had, uh, yeah, it's all that changed. So I, there was one year I was hunting, uh, me and my buddy and we were chasing, uh, chasing elk. And next thing I know, man, I just hear these, I hear these dogs just going nuts and, uh, and sure enough, up the canyon, up ahead of us, we see that, but they were chasing mountain lion with them. They weren't actually oh, chasing the air. Right. But man, that's a lot of noise. Um, and then I've actually had, uh, people out in the hunting area up in the wilderness where I was hunting because there's a, a lookout and there was some guy up there and he had his dog and his dog is running around barking. You know, it just makes a lot of noise. I would say it, it would affect it. But, you know, I, man, I, it's nothing. I, I mean, if I was a guy hunting with my dogs during an archery elk hunt, I wouldn't be bringing them in there at that time just because just for a courtesy of the hunters. I think it has an effect, but I don't have experience other than that. I don't know what you guys have had in the past. So, well, there was sure so, so at one time there was hound hunting during that first archery. Um, yeah. and, it became problematic so much so that they changed it, right? And and I don't know, I, I really don't know if it was mm-hmm. as problematic. Um, 
I I don't know how much it actually affected an animal uh, that somebody had in front of me. I'm sure, man, if you have an elk and it's coming in, all of a sudden dogs start barking coming through the area, that animal's going to shut up and that animal's going to move. And But I think it also, you know, as hunters, we're real good at justifying our failure on anything around us as well, you know. Um, it, you know, and as soon as you're not seeing anything, the first thing, if there's dogs that's in the air, first thing people are going to do is friggin' dogs are in the area or, mm-hmm. you know, those people are running around on four wheelers over there or, you know, they're going to find reasons to kind of justify, you know, how things are. Now, could it be the case? Possibly, sure. right? Sure. That could possibly be the case. And, <laughs> and I know, I know of people that, it's happened in different ways. I mean, I know of people that have been calling an animal in and had a four-wheeler go by and spook them out. I know of guys that have been working elk inside a meadow and had somebody pull a four-wheel drive truck right through the middle of it and blow everything out, right? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of distractions out there, and I think that when you mix that situation, uh, it it just is a... It's just an equation for a problem, right? Um, it's just, uh, I just don't think it, people are going to not be happy one way or the other. No doubt. <clears throat> I know Good when question. I'm in the woods deer hunting, man, and <clears throat> guys run dogs for hogs or whatever, <clears throat> it's a bad deal, man. Um, those deer don't like it. They vacate the country. Will they come back? Yeah, but not today. <laughs> you know, it might be a couple of days before they feel confident about being in that area. Uh, and look, the dogs aren't necessarily running deer. They're running hogs or uh, whatever else. And, I, you know, there definitely needs to be a time for guys that have hounds that want to do that. But I think New Mexico's done a good job of giving them days where they can go do it and coexist uh, in Texas as well, right? Uh, most of Texas ain't public land, so it's mostly private. And... Uh, <clears throat> You know, not a lot you can do on private ground, but on public land, say in the national forests and stuff, it's tough, man. I mean, you got to deal with, you know, whether it's dog hunters or drivers or whatever's going on, you got to deal with that. So, um, not easy, but, uh, definitely. Well, you bring up a good point. As long as it's legal, I mean, ain't much you can do about it. No, and you, but you bring up a good good point, man. I've been, you know, I've been in situations where I'm stalking. You know, or trying to call elk, and there are people that like to drive animals to a yeah. certain area. Yeah. You know, that's their technique, and and it ends up shaking up everything in the area. Sure. But, uh, but I, I also want to add this: that this is kind of a catch twenty two in a way that dogs are a very effective way of hunting bear, lions. Right? They're yeah. very effective, and any time that we're hunting bear. Um, we are actually helping out the elk population as well. For sure. So um, that's something to, to think about. Now, it, you know, but I, I can even go into Colorado, and if I had to choose between dogs running bear and muzzle loaders out in the woods, it's a no-brainer. Dogs bear. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. You know, yeah. I, <clears throat> I think I'm going to pick the dogs, man. So I think the states have figured this out, Joe. I think they've kept it out of where you're going to be in the same time or OTC Mm -hmm. zones. Maybe not in Colorado, 
but surely New Mexico's figured it out. Yeah. Like uh, Eric said, there's a time where you can use dogs and a time where you can't. Yeah, and they I try to do it early here, you know. Yeah. And, and I think that's what most states need to do. Yeah. Yeah, it needs to be at a point where uh, – but there are so many seasons, like, you know, there's so many seasons that are back-to-back and so many yeah. seasons that, you know, if it's not the elk season, it's running dogs during the deer season or sure. – you know what I'm saying? So uh, – so, some of it's always going to conflict. I think the most important thing to remember is if it is, if you have a problem with it, do it the right way through the right channels when people ask questions and give your opinions and give your opinions and facts and stuff. And, and, you know, um, we need to treat each other with respect, respect out there. And, you know, to those people that are running dogs, that's a lot of work. There's a lot yes. of time, a lot of training. Yes. Those people um, put a lot of time into doing what they do, and the, they're passionate about it too. I very got passionate about it. Yeah, I got absolutely. a really good friend of mine, Pat Lewing, and they big time dog hunters. Love to chase hogs and mm-hmm. bears, whatever. I mean, as long as they can use their hounds to do it, that's been a way of life for them. They grew up doing. Uh, and look, they run deer in Mississippi and Alabama, stuff like that with dogs. And it's a way of life, man. I, I've been on some of those hunts and I'm telling you, these guys, they love and live to do it. They grew up doing it since they were kids. So I'm not saying we need to take that away from them. I'm saying there needs to be a season for them to do it where it doesn't infringe upon everybody that isn't doing it. So don't shake the woods up for everybody. Yeah. And uh, I hope we can all get along and, and and understand that and be respectful to one another. So, Scott, and I, I hope that answers his question. And I tell you, if you're a smart hunter as well, and if I was to hear dogs coming into an area and I know that I have elk in here, man, there's ways of using that to your advantage too sure. by finding some of the saddles, looking some of those places where they might They're push over to the north side, just like if they got pressure from hunters. So yeah. there's a way to figure through the problem. You just don't throw your hands up in the air and go, it's over. I mean, yeah. uh, I'm, it, yes, it can be frustrating, but it's the people that go that little <laughs> extra distance and do a little extra thinking that yeah, are yeah. still successful. Okay. Joe, if we thought it was over every time we encountered a person in the woods, yeah. never <laughs> killed nothing. So. Yeah, I can't tell you how many <laughs> how many elk we've killed right after seeing somebody or or uh, you know or or having somebody stalk in on us. I mean, it's happened numerous times for us. Yeah. Hey, Scott, thanks for that question, man. That's a That's great so question. I I hope we gave it justice. Um, it's it's a tough one. Um, and Good question though. Yeah, it's a great question. Yep. Okay. Uh, the next question comes from Tim Rieger from Abbotsford. British Columbia. DC. He says, I dusted off my bow for the first time this season and plinked the first four arrows in a nice little bullseye grouping. This is easy, I thought. Then none of the next 24 found the bull. So I quit and poured a drink. After I relaxed a bit, the next eight arrows once again found the mark. So I figured I would quit while I was ahead and poured another drink. Ah, now I don't think bending my, now I don't think bending my elbow with the drink would be a recommended archery exercise. What would the fitness ninja recommend for strengthening exercises? In the past, I have walked the treadmill holding a two pound weight on my left arm, I guess, out in front of me for as long as I could. Uh, guess. I am getting older. Thanks, guys. Still love the show. Such an encouragement. 
Well, yeah. I think we, we can we can give you three different aspects. Uh, I myself, you know, um, started from probably ground zero uh, after my uh, bout with cancer, and I, I started with with uh, bands, elastic bands, and then uh, right now I I build my way up to rubber tubing, uh, and just you know exercising the the correct uh, shooting uh, posture, but using those. And uh, what you can do too is crank your bow down a little bit, and and shoot till you're you feel you're you're strong enough to move up to the next uh, next weight, and uh, you know just keep doing that. As far as carrying the two pound weight, uh, you know I sometimes do that when I'm walking just to you know because when you're carrying the bow sometimes you have it out there. And just to give a plug out to Armando, yeah, you know, with a bow hitch, you don't have to worry about that. But <laughs> carrying your bow sucks. Oh, I think he's holding the weight out like this, like he's oh, holding like his bow. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. he's holding his bow. Oh, I see, like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah that's, pretty, that's pretty tough to do. Ooh. But uh, but Joe and Gilbert both had uh, an instance. Joe with a shoulder, Gilbert with a his bicep. Yeah. Where they had to crank down quite a bit and they could probably tell you a little bit more what they did to strengthen themselves and, and get back to their, uh, their shooting. Just what you said, Chad. We started with bands, then went to tubing, and then I went to cables, uh, in my workout program in my off, you know, coming back from that, uh, <clears throat> attachment surgery. Uh, we went straight from little bands and then, uh, harder, uh, bands and then we got to the cables and I started pulling back 50, 60 pounds on those cables at the workout facility where it's a cable draw. So I would hold my hand up against it, grab it and pull it back. And, and I worked on strengthening my back muscles. Too. There you a go. That's a lot key. of guys that, that when they draw their bow, uh, and I even talked to the legend this weekend, I said, RC, do you use your back at all to draw that bow? And he goes, no, I said, man, try to push your shoulder blades together when you draw your bow. And man, it made it so much simpler for him. He was like, oh my God, I ain't fighting it near as bad. So we work on, you know, rows and stuff like that to get those muscles right here behind your shoulders really strong. And that helps take a lot of pressure off the, off the tricep and bicep and delt and everything else. And once you get those. Elbow. Yeah, your elbow. And once you get those muscles stronger, you just actually pinch your shoulder together. And, man, you can draw your bow so much easier. But that's what I did. And I worked all the way up to 100-pound cable rows. And I wasn't really supposed to do that. But I had a goal of being able to pull my bow back when I got to elk camp. And about two weeks before I left elk camp, I was able to pull it back and start doing some shooting. Uh But, yeah, and now I'm – I'm back full time. You know, when you got to go over to Luisa's house and get your arrows built, you got to shoot 250 times. So, um, at the end of the day, I'm back uh, and feel good, uh, feel good. But that's what I did. I don't know about Joe, but I know he worked with Doc a lot in getting his shoulder strengthened. Did you hear that, y'all? I've got to take a second from the show to tell you about the Enchantress call from Slayer Calls. This call, it gets you the most realistic bugles and cow calls I have ever heard from an external. 
Look, the folks at Slayer Calls designed this external call to act just like a human tongue. So literally, with the push of a button, anyone can use this bad boy to bring those puppies running. Look, if you struggle with diaphragm calls or you have a partner that's just not able to call, y'all, this right here is your ticket to sucking those bulls right on in. If you want to try the Enchantress, which they're calling the Elk Slayer now, to put me in your freezer, then just use our code. It's one word, ElkBroSlay. Again, that's the code, ElkBroSlay, on SlayerCalls.com. Well, I, I think just about anybody, especially when you first start um, shooting, when you first start coming back, you'll notice that you're, if you're going to pull anywhere, you're going to pull a right-handed shooter, you're going to pull left, or you're going to drop down, right? Yeah. Um, either you're dropping the bow arm or it's just only natural, man. When we Gravity. are that bow arm, when we pull, we have a little bit of angle. So you're actually pushing, you're trying to pull away from the way it's pulling you to the inside. And so a lot of times when you release, you're still, you're actually pulling to that side yeah. and you'll end up pulling off to you know, to that left. So strengthening that bow arm by doing things where you're, you're actually strengthening by doing kind of flies both ways, you know, when you're laying on your belly going back and then when you're, when you're laying on your back going forward, you know, working those flies. And when you're holding that dumbbell out like that, Tim, you are working trying to, so that that bow arm can stay up and be stronger, but it's getting a lot of help. When you, when you go here, if you just really work on holding that bow arm after the shot, that's the big thing because when it's resisting, you're actually getting some help from being pulled back sure. against it, right? But it's more about really focusing on keeping that bow arm up for the follow through. And like I said, the other one would be, man, is just getting, you know, working those dumbbell flies to the back where you are working those shoulder blades in the back, like Gilbert's talking about, doing some where you're straight out and just coming out and up, and you can do it with bands. You can do it with anything. You could even, you know, you can get up here and get a band on something, and you can actually pull it to the other direction or pull back on on that band. You got to be light because the shoulder is something that's easy to screw up if you try yeah. overdoing it. Always less is more, more and then work into it. When you're talking shoulder, you're talking about a there's nothing but muscle that holds the shoulder in. And it's, you know, if you get crazy on that, you can injure yourself. So you got to go light with it and just do those types of things, man. And that's why just shooting after a while, when you shoot a lot, it, it starts to get everything in line for you, you know? So, and I also recommend this skill is to make sure that you're warming up before you start shooting to get the muscles ready. Okay. For sure. For sure. And one of the things he made a really, profound statement he said the first four arrows man bullseyes well that's because the next ones is because you're getting tired already and your form will go away this as soon as you start getting a little bit fatigued fatigued your form will go away and uh, again you relaxed went and got you a little bit of liquid courage and came back up there and picked the (laughs) next ones up but you were rested and ate the next eight found the mark again so If you'd have kept rolling, you'd have start seeing your shooting deteriorate. 
So the more time you put in shooting, the more, the stronger you're going to get too. And all of the band exercises and stuff like that. Joe, do you have a website that you can go to to see Doc's, Doc's stuff where he recommends the stuff? Mountain for Physio. <clears throat> you just go to Mountain mm-hmm. Physio and I would throw something out to Doc. I mean, he, he yeah. posts stuff on Instagram all the time. <clears throat> but also I have a like a shooting sequence thing that I do to develop shooting endurance because as an instinctive shooter i had to shoot so much but one thing i would tell you doc too is i'm sorry tim is when you first start shooting and you pop those Mm -hmm. first ones there okay now that tells you something that tells you you know what it's like to have good form then when things go to crap like that don't be so hard on yourself don't just give up on it just just keep shooting through it a little bit as a workout on there. Okay. And then now before everything, anything gets fatigued or injured, you got to go down, you're going to rest that. And then you can do multiple sessions, come back just like you would in a regular workout. You know, that's why, you know, you were warmed up, you strengthened those a little bit, you got blood flowing, you relaxed, you came back. Now, instead of four, you were doing eight before everything went to hate, went to heck. Right. So once you do that and things start to go down a little bit, just work on really just focus and continue shooting through and not being so hard on yourself. Now, after week three of doing that, now it shouldn't be just four. It should be six to eight before you have yeah. to break down, right? And yeah. then you're going to continue to shoot through that. Not so much that you are compensating to shoot. That's when when you start recruiting muscles to be able to shoot, you're getting too fatigued and you're breaking down your form. So you've got to back out of that and you got to rest before you shoot anymore. Okay. But that's what I would tell you, man, is um, you can do those kinds like Chav said. You know, you do those band exercises. The bands are fantastic. And everybody listening, don't think you have to use bands when you're just injured. You can be preventive and become a better shot just by strengthening that shoulder with the different exercises. Okay. That's right. Well, guys, you know what time it is. It's time for our Elk Bros shout-outs. If you're new uh, to our show, this time. is a shout-out to our followers in a few cities with the most <laughs> listeners. Topping our charts this week, Joe. Yep, and look, we started it on the last show. It was Travis's idea, brilliant idea. Um First, we're going to reward some reviewers. And for those folks listening, what we're going to do is for those folks that leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or give us a comment on YouTube, and you must include your name and where you are from, we're going to be throwing your names into a hat, basically, um, once each month, and we're going to draw a winner for both a Wapiti River call and a signature Elk Bros diaphragm call. It's not going to be the sugar yet. It's going to be the grinder. <clears throat> the sugars are going to be here next week. And we already have, God, we have tons of back orders on the, on the sugar. It's so cool, man. It's, it's cool to see that excitement. But so we have Sean Thompson of, uh, uh, oh, from Sean from Thompson Falls, Mon- Montana, Christopher Talbot from Nor- New Orleans, Steve Osborne from Adele, Iowa, Chris McKelvey from Meridian, Meridian, Idaho, Jim Coyle from Dubois, Wyoming, Talon Richardson from Helper, Utah, Tom Roth from Milton, Wisconsin, John Waldron from Wyoming, Jason Schultz from Salem, Connecticut, Casey Gamble from Hutchinson, Kansas, Keith oh, Durr from Aurora, Aurora, Colorado, Adam Visser from Calgary, Canada, Tim Rieger from Rager from 
Abbotsford, BC, Scott Schwab from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, Tob Rob Greer from Wellesley, Ontario, Canada, and Derek Squires from Brandon, Mississippi. That's one through sixteen. And what I'm gonna do right here is I am going to share uh we're gonna share our number generator and we're gonna go ahead and pick we've got one through sixteen up here. We're gonna generate it, pop that button and the number is number 10. And the winner, the winner is Casey Gamble from Hutchinson. Oh, Kansas. sweet, dude. Congrats, <laughs> Casey. Yeah, man. That's a uh, long-time listener, man. Yeah. Hey, did I hear you say we had one of the Waldron boys in that? Was we that did. John, John Waldron was yeah. in that. Yeah, cool. from Hunt Wars season. Yeah. yeah. John Waldron's in there, man. And you can see. There's Casey Gamble, number 10, right there, guys. So, where's uh, Waldron? Is Waldron from Wyoming? Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. Is he mm-hmm. one of them big, large boys that was in that? Well, uh, yeah, all them boys were large. Dude, that them guys were all <laughs> giants, man. Made Cole yeah. Wilkes look like a midget. Yeah. <laughs> and that ain't easy to do. Cole's a big boy. Yeah, we yeah, had we had is. Dustin. Dustin was a big boy. And yeah. Him and John were big boys. And, I mean, and, you know, and man, don't take a look at Arizona boys too. They were yeah. pretty good size. Like I said, man, I've been, you know, uh, upset that I haven't been able to come out there and see the, the Hunt Wars crew. It's got to be fantastic. I know Eric and, and, uh, and our other coach, you know, uh, yeah, that's a lot Will of fun, man. Have done a, bl- Absolutely. a bang up job at taking care of those guys. So, um, it's so cool what they've got going on. I just saw a post from them where season four is coming out. And yes, sir. Cool. Get signed up, yeah. man. Go you're, to home you're gonna see how you're gonna see how big and how fast some of these guys are, man. The first crew I hunted with, the South Dakota boys, dude. They were six five, six six. Here's old short legs, me, dude. I'd be walking, <laughs> and I literally would have to start jogging just to keep that distance the whole day. And then when they take off running. Man, they're trying to leave this old man. I think they're trying to get rid of me, dude. They, have, they have so, some stride on them. Good Lord. So yeah. listeners out there, if you want a chance to be drawn to win some of these calls on there, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on YouTube channel. Make sure you include your name and where you're from, and we'll throw you in the hat for we'll We'll be doing it in four weeks, so we'll let it gather up, and then we'll, we'll get those in four weeks on there. All right? And let's get those shout-outs, Eric. We're going to do it proper in this first one. So our first, uh, first shout out today, man, it's really, it's what an amazing place. So, it you know, is. Yeah, this is, it's an wait, amazing, it's an amazing, this is city. unbelievable. That's all I got to say. It, this is unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It is. I mean, you got, this town's had Nobel prize winners for literature. I mean, if you're into food, you got Michelin star restaurants, you've got world renowned beer and spirits. Um, you got famous musicians and bands. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Handel's Messiah. Very, Absolutely. very, uh, yeah, that was first performed there in, 19, in 1742. Um, you have the father of modern <clears throat> conservatism, Sir Edmund Burke, from there. You got some of the best coffee in the world. I mean, Muhammad Ali fought there in 1972, if you like boxing. Real interesting, I think I found out about the city, too, is about 50% of the, uh, the citizens are estimated to be under 25 years of age. Wow. There's a lot of nightlife action in that town. So really a lot going on. (laughs) Yep. And one of the best MMA fighters of all time, Mr. Conor McGregor. Mr. Conor McGregor. So from the Elk Bros, I want to just say, Slanchava. 
to our boys in Dublin, <laughs> Ireland. So Dublin, Dublin Ireland. Ireland. Woo, top in the list from across right. the pond. So Sranchava means Sranchava means good health, boys. So Sanchava. thanks for listening. Uh, international, dude. <laughs> like yeah. international, you know, baby. El Bros International. Yeah, our, you know, we had last week the top listening city. I think it was last week was from uh, our brothers and sisters in Canada. And dude, yeah. the listeners in Dublin beat out our top listening. Denver, they beat out Dallas. Crazy, man. Yeah, I was like, how cool is this? And also in the mix, it just missed. Being in our mentions tonight blew my mind. Tokyo, Japan. Come on, man. Yeah. Tokyo, Japan. Yeah. So I'm not sure. Arigato. I'm not sure everybody that was listening out there. I don't know if it's our service guys or who it is, but I tell you what, thank you so much. It just, Absolutely. it's very, very cool. Um, hey, you guys in, if you guys in Dublin, man, send the Elk Bros crew. Kilts. I'd love to see us in some <laughs> kilts, hunting, baby. That would be awesome, dude. So I, I'd like to see the Venezuelan mafia hunting the hunting the hills with some kilts on. Kilts dude. That would look. So I, I say I'm Italian. My dad is Italian. All my family from Italy. My grandma from Genoa. My grandfather from Sicily. Um, but on my mom's side, um, they're Scottish. And so we have the McKay side over there, um, that do the, the kilts and everything. Uh, and I tell you what, I go to some of those Celtic <clears throat> competitions and check those people out. Let me tell you what, there's some man's wearing some skirts out there. Let me for tell you. For sure. For sure. Amen. <laughs> yes, yep. sir. The, you, you, those fellas that got it going on, man, there's some pretty cool things to watch. Yes. Um, if you like to chase that white ball, Ireland's a place to go do it too, man. Ain't no doubt. Just, Ain't no doubt. That How cool is that? Next up, this top listening Midwestern town is home to two bluegrass gospel groups, the Isaacs and the Blessed Union of <clears throat> Souls. This town was named after the ninth governor of <clears throat> the state of Ohio, and that is Morrow, Ohio. Morrow? Ohio Morrow, in the house. Ohio. Ooh. I am in the house. Yep. You been yeah. there? I have not, been, have not been to Morrow. Been to a bunch of cities in, have been to a bunch of cities in Ohio, but I don't think I've ever been through Morrow. Okay, this city located at the base of the Laurel Highlands is best known as the birthplace of children's television pioneer Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. And uh-huh. golf and golf legend Arnold Palmer. In 1904, the banana split was invented here by an optometrist, Dr. Strickler, and this is in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. The banana oh. split was invented there? The no, banana split, huh? I, mean, I, thought, I thought the founder of Dairy Queen found <laughs> No, no. <laughs> so, so Doc Strickler worked in, you know, what What did they call those drugstore sodas? The, soda fountain soda, place. Soda, soda fountain. Soda, soda jerk. Yeah. yeah. Sold it. There you go. He was a soda jerk, man. And, yeah. uh, when he was in college, he, that was the job that he did there. And guy God came in man. and asked for something different <laughs> and the banana split was born. Man, <laughs> I'm, I'm a sucker for a banana split. Oh um, man. La Trobe, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yep. That's awesome. The PA shows up. Well, guys, this next city was wait, named. Wait, wait, dude. I, I just got to say though, man, 
<laughs> we going all crazy about the banana split, and we left Mr. Rogers and Arnold Palmer in the dust. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, arguably one of the greatest golfers of all time, and uh, definitely a cool children's book reader. Oh, Mr. Rogers. Like, <clears throat> oh, yeah, my crazy. wife's a, my wife's a school teacher, man. She loves Mr. Rogers. Oh, heck so yeah, I'll, yeah. But, sure. but man, we went, we went straight to the ice cream. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You right. tell where my mind's at this evening, Joe, <laughs> for sure. Well, this I'll next city, lamb chops. Yeah, lamb chops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this city's name was taken from a local river and means lazy or sluggish. It's the host of two signature events, the Crayfish Festival, and we call it Crawfish down here. Uh, but Crayfish <laughs> Festival, and each August, and the West Coast Giant Pumpkin Regatta in October huh. in Tulaton, Oregon. Tulaton, Oregon. Yep, Tulaton, Oregon. Wow. I was thinking Louisiana the whole time when you said crawfish. <laughs> yeah. Well, it would be crawfish and not crayfish. Huh. Yeah, that makes sense now. Yeah. Yep. Is yep. there a difference? Uh, No, they're the same. We just – the. Of up above the Mason Dixon, they call it crayfish, and below the Mason Dixon, they call it crawfish. But, but they're right. spelled different too, right? Crawfish. They are, but they're the same thing. Okay, all right, man. I'm just hey, they're both crustaceans. And got I want to keep my crustaceans straight, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right, y'all. Um, main content: becoming an elk hunter series. Uh, we're going to jump right into this uh, because we were working on closing the deal basics last time. We had talked about setup. We had talked about response and different things like that. Um, we're going to go immediately and talk about uh, different parts of that. I want to break it down from shot focus, reading body language, stopping what that is and why, um, so that people understand that, shot placement, and, and really uh, after that, you know, um, we can talk about the confusion after the hit. I think we lost Eric there. I'm not, oh, he just went off for a second. Okay. So what are we talking about when we talk about closing the deal and shot focus? You know, what are we looking at in, in thinking about that? You know, think about that. Let's, let's break it down because a lot of guys, when they have an animal in, coming in, they start to get a little bit Shaky, anxious, antsy, antsy, you know, and when we're talking about shot focus, what we're talking about in this is not so much the placement. What we're talking about this is already looking for those holes where that animal can possibly come through. Yeah. Where are we going to kill him? Where Where are we we going to kill that animal? Yeah. Where are we going to harvest? Great way to put it, Gil. Great way to put it. And. And the other thing you got to realize when you're thinking about that, you always got to consider the wind. Do you have a crosswind? So if you have a crosswind and which is a channel of scent, at what point could that animal cross that channel of scent? Because your shot focus on where you want to kill that animal has to be prior to that happening, right? So when you're there and you're set up and that animal's coming in, I don't care which direction that animal is coming. I want you to look ahead of the, the direction that animal is coming and see what are the possibilities of where you're going to be able to take that animal. But then I want you to look towards the 
other sides of that as well. What if that animal turns? Because there's so many times you get all set up, you get all ready, and they will stop, and all of a sudden they have a log, they have something, whatever reason, they come in a different direction. So you got to really scope your field out and look at your possible shot opportunities, all right? Yeah, I mean, it's one of the biggest things to close in a deal. um, Number one, got to draw your bow to close the deal, right? And then when you draw your bow, he needs to, the the animal or the critter needs to be in the kill zone, right? In the killing area or harvesting area where you want to take him. So, you know, it's the old adage, you know, if the elk's walking past a tree, Wait till he clears the tree before you draw. Don't draw back when his head's behind the tree because he's going to stop and the whole tree is going to be covering the kill zone. Let him pass. Draw. And if he boogers, be ready for that. Have your little diaphragm there. He boogers. Yeah. Little cow call. Even, even grunt at him. Yeah. Whoa. Even grunt at him. Woo. Yep. Anything like that to get his attention and he will bound, you know, sometimes they bound 10 yards, sometimes just five yards, sometimes 20, but they will always turn broadside and you need to be at full draw, ready for that broadside deal, understand what your distance looks like. And again, guys, closing the deal on these critters, distance makes such an important factor got to understand what you what you're looking at 40 yards and in that makes a huge difference and anything past that you need to be right on the money because you got to send it and be confident that that yardage is right uh otherwise we can't send it if you and i i I say this a thousand times if you don't know the yardage and you question it at all don't send it man but closing the deal you have to Put all of those dots together and it happens like that. I mean, it's so fast at times, but as you get more of these under your belt, it'll get easier to, for you to connect the dots and you'll almost plan out. All right. I'm going to kill him right there <laughs> and poof. You send it before you even know what's happened. Right. Um, because you start learning how to connect the dots. Um, but for me, shot focus, reading that animal's body language, whether, you know, he's got his ears in an alert position. Is he looking at me? Because uh, it doesn't matter to me if the animal's looking at me or not, especially if I'm 30 and in. He's getting it. And, uh, you know, once they get past that, then they can react a little bit different, especially if they're 40, 50. You know, they're looking right at you and you send it. They're going to spin. They're going to get, you know, Elk pivot. They don't drop too, too much. They'll pivot. So you gotta, you gotta kind of read their body language. And a lot of times if their body language is super alert and they're kind of on a quartering to you, that's probably not a shot you want to take, right? So understanding that you just a little bit, let him get in that good window, draw your boat and send it, man. Here we go. What if there was a way to flatten your elk hunting learning curve and have the experience of a lifetime, gaining decades of elk hunting knowledge and skill sets that'll take your DIY confidence and abilities to a whole new level? 
Look no further. Welcome to Elk Bros Adventures in our coached adventure camp. An elk hunting experience like no other. Your prep and training starts months before you ever step foot on the mountain. Our campers have weekly online training sessions with each member of our Elk Bros Success Squad in all aspects of the hunt. Gear, physical condition, archery setup, failure points to avoid, shooting proficiency, finding elk, locating, behavior calling, setup, and closing the deal. From the moment you get to elk camp, the boots on the ground training begins. Each camper will have one of the Elk Bros trained coaches with them throughout the hunt, not guiding, but teaching and helping you to learn and apply those lessons. For the price of what many today are paying for tags alone, you will be smashing that DIY learning curve, becoming a more knowledgeable, capable, effective, confident, and therefore successful DIY elk hunter. Y'all, hunt preparation like no other, a learning experience like no other, an elk hunting adventure like no other. For more information, go to elkbros.com forward slash hunt. That's elkbros.com forward slash hunt. Flattening that learning curve, now there is a way. Well, cheers to the elk bros, huh? Cheers. 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 I watched a video where, you know, because almost every elk that I've killed, I've never had an elk drop on me, but elk can drop. And I think we saw this on videos that were taken up uh, in Alberta area where a guy was shooting at one. But as that animal was coming in, that animal is already super jumpy. It was already doing little jumps like this. And just you could tell at a distance, if that animal was at a distance and you went and took that shot, that animal was going to try to get out of there. He was already feeling so paranoid that something was trying to get him. And that's where you got to pay attention to that body language. That's what, that's what, uh, Gil is talking about. Uh, for example, you'll have a, an elk will sometimes do what I call a false feed where they will, they're in the wide open and they will go down like they're going to eat grass. And a lot of times people will go ahead and draw at that point in time. And that animal is actually, this is something that they do to get a predator to make a move on that. And so sometimes they're going to just go down, not even feed, and they're going to snap their head up and they're just looking for you to move. That's something to pay attention to. And it's kind of like, and Gil said, distance is everything. The further they get away from you, you have to know when an animal is stopping looking your direction, why did that animal stop and look? What Read that animal's body language. Does it take a step backwards like it's getting ready to get out of there when it's doing that? Is it urinating? Because urinating. once it starts urinating, it's getting ready to get out of dodge right there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, unless he's bugling and palpitating, that's a whole different deal. If you have an animal that's bugling and you have an opportunity to take that shot, that is golden right there. That's a golden opportunity. If yeah. that animal is raking inside a tree, the beauty about an elk is whatever they're doing with their head, their body stays still. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that, that is just a, a prime time right there. You know, when they're doing it, but when, and when their head's down, 
mm-hmm. and they're eating or something like that, even if, like you said, they're doing that, when their head's down, their body can move a lot more. Right. So if their head's up, they can't move near as much because their, their body wants to spring down, right? But if you, if, again, it's that magic number of 30 yards. If it's past 30, they got a lot more opportunity to move. If right. they're inside of 30, our bows nowadays, Are even so with fast. the heavy arrows we sh- shoot, they don't have enough time to get out of there, right? So y'all got to really know your distance. And, you know, Joe taught me that a long time ago, man. Pick pick a spot, draw your bow, have to draw, and then, you know, feel, feel good about it, you know, you guys go back and look at our shot placement podcast. It's the best in the world. I'm telling you, if you hit them where we tell you to hit them, you're going to watch them fall. You're not going to have to chase them. I can tell you that. Yeah. Eric, you were going to say yeah, something. Part, oh. I'm sorry. No, I saying just I agree with everything you're saying, too. Like the problem I would have early on is I was left-eye dominant. I am left-eye dominant, but I shoot gotcha. right-handed. So when I initially, when I first started hunting, I was trying to shoot with both eyes open. Got to close it, yeah. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have to close it because what happens once you start getting that fight or flight and get that adrenaline rush, yeah. that left that dominant eye, eye takes over. And guess what? My arrow's running. And I couldn't <laughs> figure out why. Like, why am I missing so bad on this animal? Yeah. End up wounding an animal. That's what it was. Yeah. And then, like, we talk about it, but the easy V for me really took a lot of that out, too. I do not uh, – to, to just make – that part of that hunt for me, executing the shot for me, the V is just perfect because I don't have to worry about distance. I've been shooting it so much. I love the instinctive part of it. It just takes all that target panic out because I would get it because I, I'd be so worried about my eye. So if that's a problem you might have, you might consider that, you know, just little things like that make a big difference. Yeah. Even if you booger the animal. Don't worry, man. You can stop him. Okay. You know, RC, me and Brendan, we boogered that bull that was, you know, within 18 yards of us. We boogered him. He run all the way around the outside of that daggum, uh, walla. Metal. And yeah. And we, we stopped him at 53 yards or 57 yards, man. And poof, I mean, that's all I needed was to know the distance and we sent it, you know, but if I wouldn't have never tried to call to him to stop him, he'd have never stopped. He'd have just run out of our life, you know. And, and that was actually the best time to shoot when you did, because when an animal is going and they stop, you know, everything's into the stop. They haven't had yeah. a chance to really regather and get ready to go, and they're stopping to check, so they're yeah. planted. And that was actually the best time to pop that critter. Right yeah, now. and I mean, he was out there far enough where, you know, he started to move a little bit before the arrow got to him, but it was too late, you know. Uh We'd already sent it and uh Man, it was just a, it's the right thing to do. If you, you, like Joe said with that hog this past weekend, if he does nothing, it just walks out of his life. You know, you got to try to stop the animal. Then it's imperative to know your distance of where the animal's at. And generally when you stop them with a cow call or a grunt or a bugle, whatever you stop them with, they're going to stop and turn broadside. It's just their fatal, fatal flaw. flaw. Yep. You know, we talk about it all the time, man. And you guys got to understand when you come up the back leg of that animal and he's totally broadside with your pen or with your easy V, you got 10 to 12 inches behind that 
leg to get it in them two lungs. And I'm telling you, if you hit both those lungs and get two holes, brother, even if you don't get two holes, but you get both the lungs, son, it's over. Que sera, sera. He, you will put your hands on that bull. Guys that don't get two lungs, they're going to struggle with trying to find that you, you're going to kill him, but it's going to take a lot longer for that bull to die. Um, and, and we have, you know, since come, uh, and looked at some really cool video that's out there now on shot placement and stuff, uh, from a surgeon. And he tells us why the thoracic surgeon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's a thoracic surgeon and he tells us why when you punch a hole through that pearl cavity and get both lungs deflated, it suffocates the animal almost instantly. And that's why they can't go very far and they pass clean out and they die, man. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you shoot them with a big broadhead or a daggum ice pick that goes through both of them. When you deflate that pleural cavity, they cannot breathe. And, uh, so, you know, they asked him a couple of times, well, what if you think you made the perfect shot? You know, you hit him right and you didn't find him within a couple hundred yards. He said, well, you know, you didn't hit him right, you know, cause that just doesn't happen. And I think it's a hundred percent correct. Every deer or every elk I've ever shot and got both lungs, man, I, I actually watched them fall. They didn't run out of my life, you know, so fantastic stuff. Yep. Yeah, it is, man. Chav, you were going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say uh, a good time to drop back, too, is when they're walking, you know. Yeah. They'll, they'll see a movement and maybe spook just about 10, 15 yards. Or even stop and look at you. Yeah, they'll just stop right. and look at you. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the key thing is when they're close up like that, you got to draw. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like you said before, if you don't draw, you're not going to have any opportunities. So. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many of my – you know, I've been with guys that are young elk hunters and I've called several bulls in <laughs> for people and I'm looking over. And I'm like, man, why ain't you drawn? You know, and they're like, oh, he's looking at me. Draw your bow, dude. You know, we're never going <laughs> to get this deal done if we don't draw our bow. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, I think this crew that I hunt with are the best closers in the business and it leads it's from El Jefe. Uh, on down, but I mean, you know, we, we preach this about closing the deal and I, I hunt with some straight I, up killers. I, man. I truly believe that the success rate, it, I really think that's the difference. I think so many people get in great position, get, have incredible encounters, get very close to elk, but just don't know how to close the deal. I think that is the missing link. And that's why if if you just keep covering this stuff and you're going to hear our same common themes, man. I mean, and that's because these are the things that we know and believe make us successful. Like for example, when we talk about shot placement, what I find is the problem is, is that a lot of hunters come from the top down. They're looking at the animal's eyes, they're looking at the horns, and then they come down and try to place something in that shoulder right there. And really what you, it's really about legs, legs, legs. You got to become a leg person <laughs> because yeah. Yeah. when you look at those legs, they're going to tell you everything about that animal. You know, well, you look at that onside leg. If you're seeing that offside leg, 
that's back behind yeah. it, that means that critter's quartering away. Yeah. You know, if you're seeing both legs from the front side like that, that now you're getting that animal turned frontal. Those legs will tell you what position. And all you have to then do is go up that leg and determine your shot. Like for example, if I see, if I see that where mm-hmm. I have the onside leg and I have the backside leg further back, if further back here, I'm aiming using the backside leg, not right. the front one. Because of that angle, if I shoot at the front leg, I'm only going to get one lung and I'm going to punch out through the chest on the other side. By aiming at that back leg on the other other side, on a quartering away animal, that's going to put me straight through both lungs and that animal's not going to go anywhere. Okay? <laughs> so legs is where you do. You go and you look at those legs. It's going to tell the story of the quarter. It's going to tell you whether it's perfectly broadside. If it's perfectly broadside, I'm going straight up that leg, looking at that crease. I'm going three to four inches back, mid-body, and I'm letting go. It doesn't take long time to to do that. I mean, you're just placing right in that spot. And so many people want to go for that. And, and I understand why, but they want to go for that lower third hot shot, hard shot right above the elbow. And listen. It is a killing shot, but you are risking recovery and you're risking hitting an elbow, coming off and hitting that leg or hitting that knuckle or hitting that, that shoulder blade. So the key is to deflate the lungs. And that means all you got to do is mid body, three inches behind that crease. You pop right there. You get two holes, two holes, two holes. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna say it again. Two holes. Two holes. Yeah. You get two holes through those lungs. They deflate, and you have an incredible blood trail that's going to help you recover that animal. And that's what, for us as coaches, it's not just about the animal dying. It's about us recovering. Yeah. The right. Right. Yeah. So uh, I, I get real excited about that. I get real passionate about that. Well. Uh, because that's what this is about. That's our ethical side of it. That's our responsible side. That's our efficient. Look, you don't hear me say it very often, but there, there are people that hunt and there are people that are good killers um, as far as being efficient on getting an animal down. And that's where, that's where that difference lies in there. And I am very efficient when it comes to finishing and closing there. And that's been my key all these years. And I, you know, I've got fellas now around me that have become extremely efficient on doing that. So know that anatomy, know that shot placement, but it's not, you don't have to overthink it. And today, um, Travis O'Shea sent a, a, a text to me. We have a group and stuff that we talk all the time. And he's like, Joe, man, out of the, 37 elk that you've taken, yeah. how many of those shots were broadside? <laughs> Every one. Exactly, babe. Every one yeah. of them were. Now, was there a little quarter maybe one way um, or the yeah. other? There might have been, yeah. yeah. But I wait for a broadside shot. I have never yet killed a bull on a frontal. Luis has yeah. devastated a bull on a frontal. Yeah. But I've always waited for a broadside shot, and it's been effective for me. Okay, so that's... Look, the last four bulls that I put down, we watched them, or five, we watched them fall in front of us. Mm -hmm. I mean, they didn't go 
a combined maybe 60 yards between them. I mean, right. one bull went less than 55 feet. The other one went, I don't know, 15 yards, Joe, the bull you called up the, up the ridge for me. I mean, he didn't go down to the bottom of the ridge. He died right yeah. there on the side of the ridge. Uh, so when I tell you guys this shot placement that we, that we use, it kills them quick, man. There ain't no tracking. I mean, we watch them go fall down, you know. It's a bunch of daggum high-fiving and rejoicing and dogpiling going on because we watch them fall, you know. And uh that's what I'm I'm about. I'm about dispatching these critters um ethically and quick because they deserve it, you know, and they deserve you to do your very best in understanding how to get it done. It takes I, away a ton of stress, too. It does, I, man. I mean, it does. I've it been does. in situations with – Tons of hunters, you know, and you think that you've made a good hit. Again, there's that thing where you think you made the perfect hit, but it's not. And you end up having to track these animals. You got to wait hours. You got to, depending on what you find, you know, we're going to talk about that here in just a minute, the tracking part. But, you know, I hate that stress of not knowing if you're going to recover that animal. Right. Yeah. There was another little part in this closing the deal, man. Once you hit the animal, confuse him a little bit, right? Confuse him after the hit. You send out a a bugle bugle or something like that, and it'll generally stop him in his tracks and he'll be confused. And generally, you, like I said, you punch two holes in them lungs, he ain't going very far, fellas. He's going to fall in sight. If not, I I think too, once you fire that shot, you need to reload like right. Absolutely. You can take the next shot. Absolutely. Great point. point, You're not only watching his body language when you're getting ready to shoot him, you're watching what he's doing when you hit him. Is his head going down? What are the things that are going on? Can I get another arrow in that animal if I need to? You know, just stand there looking at him and not drawing, getting an arrow on your bow. If he's up, get another one in him. Put another one in him. Yes. Yes, sir. If if he's up, man, you need to put him down and uh, just keep putting them in him. I mean, we carry a quiver (laughs) full of them, and I'm telling you, uh, they're so, they're so tough, man. Uh, If he's up, put another one in him. You know, when, when, as soon as we hit a bull, I start screaming so ridiculously on my bugle. It, anybody was to listen to they're, they're like, what the heck is that sound? I don't care. I'm just like, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to force that bull to hear me making a sound. And man, I just start screaming stuff out there, man, at it. So just to confuse that bull and man, they will stop and drop. Yep. Yep. It will. Or they'll run themselves into a tree and hit the tree and drop. <laughs> yeah. yep. um, okay, so let's talk about success basics. So yep. we've talked about everything on closing the deal. Now you've gotten it done. Okay, so after the shot, to basically tell you what you need to do after the shot. And I, I'm going to just, I'm going to start it off and just be, say, at this basic you first of all have to be an incredible witness. Yeah. All right. Good point. What do I mean by that, guys? Yeah, man. Observing, you have the direction of travel. Yeah. Uh, just watching that elk, seeing his body language. You're following, not taking your eyes off. Having a good line of sight, knowing where your shot was. Yeah. You know, picking things out in that terrain, like I shot him right here. I know exactly where I'm at. I'm not leaving that piece. I know what direction he went. Listening like for the crash. Listening for the crash. 
not celebrating, none of that stuff. Right. Just right. keeping my focus, trying to see if I can locate where that animal is going and have a real good idea of where I shot him and what direction of travel he was headed in. You know, so I've got good markers, you know. And then that's, so important me, that's, to find your arrow afterwards, man. So important. It'll tell you so much yeah, about that. If the you head. can, yeah, make good sure point. you find that arrow, yeah. man. And and if you're a good witness, you'll know because a lot of times as that animal's going away, you can see whether the arrow is sticking out on one side. Is it bouncing on the other? If you're not seeing an arrow, you're just seeing a spot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, was where, he with a herd? Was he with other animals? Because what direction were they going? Because yep. probably he may be head right. You know, that's been my experience. A lot of times, there if there's other animals right there, they were with that crowd. They're heading the same direction. They're going. They're all running out. They're he just following. So either drops or I haven't really seen one in my experience take off a totally different direction. If he was now, if the herd, I have killed a big bull. The herd was way away from him. I had him soloed out. He went in a totally different direction than yeah. the herd ended up trying to find him. But mm-hmm. man, I've had some where they just run the same direction as the cows were going. They're just moving the same way. But I don't and know listen. what your experience has been. Yeah. yeah. And then listen too afterwards. Yeah. yeah so I mean, you can hear, hear the crash. Yeah. And even on the shot, you know, what kind of, what did it sound like? Did it yeah. sound like, did you not hear anything? Did you hear Much a little bump out of it? Did you know? Yeah. Did you hear a hard whack? You know what did it sound like? Because that's going to be part of the information that you're going to use. And you know, I I, I want to really emphasize what Eric said. If a lot of times, if you see me on video after I've shot, and you would not even know I hit an animal because I am so busy taking in everything that is going on after the shot to ensure, you know, do not jinx yourself by celebration before you know that animal is down, you know, because the the job is not over yet at that point. You know, you start screaming, man, the first thing you could do, man, if you start yelling is and waving and doing stuff, man, you could actually get that animal's adrenaline going. And yeah, once that does, know. you're putting yourself in a bad position if yeah. you do that. So keep the voices low. Be staring at what that animal. Make sure you're screaming a bugle while you're doing it to confuse that animal. But watch, man. Um, if you have somebody with you, they're going to be listening as much as possible. When you see the last thing that they went by that they disappeared, look at that last thing. What is it? Is it a tree? Is it a bush? Is it a rock? Get your rangefinder out. Range that. Put a put a marker. Get that tape out. Put a piece of tape or stick your arrow in the ground. Do something to mark exactly where you're at and range from there because now that's going to help you to find those tracks, to find that blood, whatever you need to when you need to get out there, you know. So that's really going to help you out in that situation. But you have to become a good witness. All right. Definitely. Yeah. Um, now let's talk about tracking. <clears throat> Gil, if I've hit an animal and I have not heard that animal, I have not seen that animal go down. What's our rule for waiting, man? Man, uh, for me, it's an hour and a half, two hours, man. Uh, I, I'm going to at least wait that long before I pursue him just because I don't know, you know, if I hadn't seen where I hit him, I can't find my arrow, the whole nine yards. I'm going to give him an hour to an hour and a half, two hours, man. Just depends on what I was the witness of that shot. If I thought it was a little back or something like that, I'm going to give him a lot of time. You know, uh, if I don't exactly know, I'm still going to give him a lot of time. 
I watched that big bull that I killed in New Mexico. I watched him fall over after he traveled 55 feet, and I still gave that bull an hour and 25 minutes before I went up there and looked at him with Chav. And Chav's like, well, he's probably dead. I say, he might be. <laughs> yeah, like, but I'm, what are you waiting on, dude? <laughs> I'm not getting I'm not getting over and messing with him until I know that he's dead. You know, yeah. I, I've come from the old, uh, you know, old school and, you know, the laws of Beto, the mafia would say is two hours, but, you know, hour and a half. <laughs> Hour and a half, two hours is what I like to give them before I ever go out there and start looking. Yeah, if if I have punched my spot broadside through both sides and double lunged, I'm I'm a half hour minimum, and I'm with yeah. you. I mean, if I see and know if that, it, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, if I, if I watched him fall and I heard him gurgling and everything, well, we're going to walk up on him and celebrate yeah. in a, just a few seconds. But, uh, if I, if he's run out of my sight and I can't see him any longer and I don't have a good idea about where I hit him, you know, those low light or whatever it may be, I'm going to give him up to an hour, hour and a half before yeah. I ever even go look, you know, yeah. um, that's why it's so, like Joe, Joe said, it's so important to be a great witness on uh on what went on and then man you know tracking is all about understanding what the blood looks like you know what your what that animal's leaving behind uh on your arrow especially if you can find your arrow it tells a huge tale on you know how that animal's hit yeah okay so let's give some basic rules on that all right um like everybody's probably heard if you find that bright pink or that that uh, frothy blood on there with the bubbles in it that you've hit the lung, you're probably in half hour wait, 45 minutes to an hour, right, um, before you start to track. What's nice is if you wait that half hour and then you just work on finding your arrow and finding that first blood, it's going to get into an hour pretty quick on yeah. that just because you're doing something with that. But if you get that arrow and it's a dark red and you feel grit on it, okay, that means that you mm-hmm. most likely have liver. Liver. You have liver. You're six hours, four yeah. to six that you're going to be waiting on that. Easy. Um, uh, uh, because a liver shot can take a while, man. Mm-hmm. Um, if you pick it up and you know, you just barely have any blood on there and you can smell punch on that, mm-hmm. man, 24 hours. Yeah. You're waiting now, man. I mean, minimum of 12 hours, man, minimum of 12 hours. And I would give them, I would let them lay down overnight and I'd go look for them in the morning. Let that cold air get to them. Let them, you know, um, get sick. I mean, it's hard. If I saw them in a point where I knew where they were and they were bedded down and I could see where they were sick and I could get a second one in them, that's one thing. You know, it depends on the type of terrain you have, if you see something like that. But if it's thick and you're not, or if it's dark, do not go out and jump that animal because you're going to lose it. Okay. And look, I've seen a lot of liver blood be mistaken for, uh, be, be mistaken for lung blood because the animal's standing there and they have a hepatic artery that runs through the liver. And if you hit that, it's going to kill them quicker than the lower side of the liver. But if you don't hit the hepatic artery, we're talking six to eight hours. If you hit the hepatic artery, we're talking two to four hours. But what I'm saying is, is it will run out of the animal really fast. And when it hits the ground with that kind of force, it'll create bubbles in that blood, right? So what you've seen is it just frothing up from where it runs out and hits the ground. It's really not lung blood that'll 
froth up and get bubbly. But when when an animal's losing blood that fast, and I didn't learn this till this year of us tracking my liver shot deer, when it, that animal's pouring that blood out that fast and hitting the ground, it actually flocculates that blood and gets bubbles in it, right? So it kind of looked, it was darker. It wasn't that real pink blood. That pink stuff, that's that's what tells you that that is definitely lung blood, right? If yeah. it's dark red or reddish at all, it's either muscle tissue or liver. And uh that is where you want to back out and leave them alone. And uh and just back out and, and be quiet, guys. Don't don't hoop and holler and you know, and even when you're looking for your arrow, you know, be quiet because if you jump them up, oh my gosh, it can go so far. You know, Joe's been on several days worth of tracking on a liver shot animal. So, you know, or gut shot animal. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's 30, tough. 36 hours, man. Yeah. 36 hours, man. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the first bull I ever killed in my life, we had to leave him overnight. And when we got to him at seven thirty, eight o'clock the next morning, he wasn't even stiff, was he, Joe? No, no, he had just died within probably 40 minutes, you know. We got one lung and the liver. Mm-hmm. And I mean that was it. But if we don't leave him lay and we go bumping, we never find that yeah. bull. Yeah, if it's at night, you you know, um, you really got to be careful. If, unless you know you have the hit, you've heard the gurgling, you just gotta you gotta really play it safe because they can see you and you're not seeing them. You got flashlights, people are talking. It's yeah. just a, a bad medicine. And you know, I'll give you basics for tracking as well is to ensure that you stay on the side of your 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 blood trail. Um if there's multiple people, ask other people to maybe go look up ahead or stay on the side looking for the animal while you're tracking. Be careful people messing up the area and messing up the blood trail. Um if you get frustrated and you get tired, get off of it. Let somebody else get on it. Now you maybe go ahead and look at those paths of least resistance. If you lose an animal's trail, look for paths of least resistance that they're going to take or if it's so bad that they're trying to stash their trail sometimes they will go through some of the thickest stuff like scrub oak or something like that to try to mess that trail up a little bit i've had that happen as well but even the direction the blood when you see that blood splatter yep depending on what direction it'll tell you the direction of travel so yeah you'll see where it hits and then it just it carries over you know what i mean it gets long you know you're going in the right direction too i will tell you as soon as you start tracking everybody should have GPS system of some kind on their phone, either Onyx, Base Map, um, any of those on there. Start a track. You start a track immediately, and that's going to help you in a number of ways. It's going to show you the direction, direction that animal's been going. Um, if you end up do not get the animal, you have the last spot that you were. You know, if you have to end up stopping, you have the last spot that you were. Also, if you end up having to grid search, it is incredible for helping you to grid search. So you'll know where you were. You'll know where the lay of the land is because that can mess with you. So that's a really good tool to have. Now let's go to basics on breaking down and packing out. Um, and you know, when I, when I talk about this, everybody, you're going to read what a kill kit is. You should be able to find that from anybody. And we're just talking about the things that we need to properly take down an animal. The type of knives we're going to have. Are we going to have game bags? Are you, do you use, uh, rubber gloves? Do you, I, 
If you always see me using rubber gloves and, and people always like, God dang, dude, man, you've been hunting elk and you use rubber gloves. Well, I'm allergic to elk blood. It's crazy, yeah. <laughs> but I am. Are you really? Yeah, yeah. I'm allergic oh, to wow. deer dander. Yeah. I'm not allergic to elk, but I'm allergic to deer dander. And if I don't use gloves, man, I'll hive up and whelp up and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So I, I've always had to, you know, hit, I've, I've killed 37 elk and I have to wear gloves when I, yeah. when I work them, man. But, um, um, you, you're going to have your kill kit and we use the gutless method. And we're not going to teach you that right here. There's all kinds of places where you can learn about that. We will eventually have that on our academy as well um, to do that. But the gutless method is just what it sounds like. You're going from the outside, taking your quarters, taking your neck meat, taking your back straps. You're doing all that from the outside without having to gut the animal, you know. Um, and uh, it's it's something that I have used forever. Um, and yes, we get to tenderloins from the inside yep. out. Absolutely. No. Yep. Mm-hmm. It, um, Any way to do that. It is so much quicker to do that if you, so learn about that. It's going to save you time in some way. Now, if you have a way of getting to an animal and taking it out whole and you oh, plan yeah. to take it into process, then more power to you. Got that animal sure. and, you know, get it, get it out of there. Um, but generally we are packing an animal. And so we work the quarters in the gutless method. We, you know, we're going to either use a frame pack or if we have, um, like an initial ascent, if you have, um, uh, some of the other packs that have, you know, the Kifaru and mm-hmm. yeah, uh, Kuyu, any of those packs that have pack shelves on them within their systems there. Um, that's great. You had probably, if you're going to use those, probably should have game bags with you to help a little bit with blood management and to keep mm-hmm. that stuff clean. When we use pack frames, depending on our distance, yeah. if, if we're, you know, Chab, you and I have been doing this for years when we actually had to do it on shoulders, right? <laughs> um, done a few of them. Yeah. I remember the shoulder. Yeah, our, our main thing was we wouldn't even skin the leg first. We would just come in, separate it from the body, let those big muscles get to the air. Um, that way our meat stayed cleaner because it wasn't getting all kinds of stuff on it. We, if we had to put it on the shoulder, we had to put it on a pack frame. We were getting it to within a half mile, mile to a vehicle, and we had it to camp in no time where we would then have a good situation for skinning it and cleaning it. Yeah. But if if we are deep and having to pack, skin's coming off, it's hanging, and we're getting air around it, right? Yeah, and we get in, in a in a cool, cool, dry place, you know, uh, try to find some shade. Uh, we always keep some paracord with us where we can get us a little, uh, you know, like pole lash where we lash it between two trees and we can hang our quarters up there, Uh Simply, you know, a lot of times it's late or whatever, and you might not be able to get back till the next morning to come get those. But if you hang them up there, usually the critters won't get to them, and they get to cool out real quick once you've got all that air circulating around them. And look, man, this is important for you guys and how your meat tastes. If you do, you do not get your meat taken care of, it's not going to taste as well, you know. So the way we do it, really quick. We do have an awesome system because our boys will come from miles away to help you pack something out. And generally, if we'll have a whole animal out in no time, we'll have a whole animal out in one to one and a half trips. And, uh, you know, but doing it by yourself, I can see where it could take you. 
Yeah. I mean, you ask our boy Matt, Adam Messner, I mean, he had all he wanted and finally had Joe come help rescue him. But I mean, it's a full time job to take care of one of these animals by yourself. They're huge. I mean, Tom Roth killed his bull. It was a big spike, but I'm telling you, he was like, this is unbelievable. I ought to have done this by myself, you know, and this is not even a giant bull, you know? So I've been around some big bulls and man, I'm telling you, you're glad to have help. And, uh, I was never more glad to see Joe and the big Canadian Tucker and Luis and Chav. Chav was with me, but I was never more glad to see all them guys when we needed to knock one oh, down. Oh, yeah, you know, for sure. And, and getting skinned and cleaned up, man. Uh, I think but, I've already said this before, too, is that once you get that animal broke down, it's time to haul. We've talked about at previous shows about making sure you got better have some walking sticks, man. Agreed. Yep. That is the, that is, I, I, I went for years not ever using them and that, that's a huge difference, but always carry, I have my kill kit, but I also carry a little food supply kit. So I keep electrolytes and I keep some stuff to keep me because man, you're going to need the energy. So <laughs> a lot of times, like if I just got through shooting at an animal and I'm having to wait, I'm, I'm going to start eating right. Yeah. I'm eating right then and there, start yeah. hydrating, get ready for yourself. Yeah. And then. I think some of the things too, if you're, if you're on the ground and you're breaking that animal down, man, it'll wear your back out. Yep. Leaning over that animal. If you need to get it, you can strip it down and get it hung in the tree and then start, you know, if you want to debone it from there, you're standing up can make it easier on you because your back's getting ready to get all the work in your legs. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, there's little things like that to make a big difference in how it, it may take you a little bit longer, but it's, it's, you know, Take your time, do it right. Don't be in a rush with your knives. We've talked about it a number of times. Yeah. And that, and, and, and you better have some clotting, different things like that, just in case something happens. Cause you can get cut. And then my partner last year, he was pointing out like knife safety. Like he said, ah, I saw some things you're doing with your knife. You really, I said, well, tell me what I was doing. And he was pointing. I said, okay, <laughs> cool. Yep. That's, that's a great point. I didn't think about that. So I need to make sure. And. Know where, know where your knife is at all the time. If you guys are yeah. cutting, you're putting it somewhere, let your partner know where it is. You're not leaving it or stepping on it. You can get hurt real easy with them blades. So Yeah, and, yeah and we use them. the outdoor edge knives, man, so they're super Please. sharp. And if yeah. you poke yourself at all, man, it's going to leave a mark. <laughs> but but so. it's important. It's just as important to have that sharp knife Ooh, um, no because doubt. once your knife starts dulling and you start ripping you at something, that's when you're asking to slip and hurt yourself. So it's critical so that it be sharp. And, yeah. and like Eric said, take your time. If you have to switch blades, no big deal. Take your time. Know where your knife is. If you have a partner, you're never cutting towards your partner. Tell your partner to be aware of where your knife is. Yeah. Never be cutting down towards your leg. Never be cutting towards your own hand. Those types of things. Understand that stuff and make sure that, that you are doing things under control. Don't go just for hacking and whacking and be in a hurry. You're going to, for the time that you think you're making up in, you know, taking that animal apart, it's going to just slow down anyway when you're packing it out. So yeah. um, you might be able to make it up there. You don't. But like you said, man, the, those sticks are, are real important, you know. For, oh, I saved my bacon yeah. this year. Mm-hmm. And it has several times when we've had some rough pack outs. You know, being able because you got a 200 pound quarter up there on your back, and uh, you know I'm already 280 pounds. Man, that's a lot of weight coming down through there through those rocks and everything. And 
Yeah. One yeah. bad, mm-hmm. one false move and you're in bad shape, you know? Um, yeah. so yeah, I mean, super important to have that, have the right, you know, right skills. And, and I always take something else too, Joe. I always take a little pair of needle nose. It's a small pair I have and I put them in my pack for changing blades out too on those knives. Mm-hmm. It's real simple to try and change a Havilon blade or even the outdoor edge knife blade and try to use your hands. But a lot of times mm-hmm. the meat gets packed in there and it's hard to get that blade back on there and you're still handling it with your bare hands. And I'm telling you, it's real simple to slip. I've seen guys do it and cut themselves really bad, uh, just putting the blade back on. So try to, you know, I, I keep me a little, it's, it's actually a Leatherman tool and I keep it in my backpack and it's got a good pair of needle nose on it where I can manipulate those blades as well. Think about worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. Anytime you're doing something, what is the worst case scenario could be that could happen here and then avoid it? All right. Avoid those failure points. And last thing we're talking about is meat care. Make sure that you have, you know, plan for success. Plan that you have coolers. You have coolers with ice on them. Get your meat on ice as soon as possible once you have it on there. Now, if you've got, if it's the type of temperature where you plan on hanging it out and you've got it in bags and it's protected from, you know, dirt and protected from flies and everything like that, no problem, man. Um, as long as it's nice and cool for that. If it's not a situation where it's cool, you need to get it on ice, man, as soon as possible. Yeah. And, uh, that, that's pretty much what we want it clean. We want it on ice. We want it to get good and cooled down. And now we're, we're good to go, especially if we have multiple people hunting. That way we can keep hunting like that. So. Yeah, and if you're, uh, if you're out in a whole big, you know, in a place where you can't come down, getting it off that bone will help it click cool out a lot quicker because the meat closest to the bone is the warmest you know so if you can get it off that bone that really helps to cool the meat out yeah absolutely anything don't anything? forget don't forget to tag your animal right after you yeah, yeah there you go. Go. Tag it, that don't you get so busy and you're like yeah. oh crap i'm hiking out and i didn't even tag this animal oh yeah. i'm yeah. out so for sure yeah. otherwise the do right boys may may uh remind you with a little <laughs> gift <laughs> Well, I, you know, I hope everybody enjoyed this series. Um, I know I did. I, I, I think it's, it's just a lot of little stuff for people that are out there. Maybe even people that have hunted for a long time might have heard something a little different that they want to try. Um, you never know. We learn something from somebody every year. I learned something from these guys that I'm with. I learned something from the animals that I'm doing this with. Uh, and the mountains always teach me something. So, <laughs> uh, we're hoping that this information that we're giving you is going to help each and every one of you and that this has been a good series for you. So, um, Gil, that's it for this one. Man, what an awesome series that we've, you know, part, there's four parts to this series. You guys, y'all go back and listen to one, two, three, and here we got four for you guys. Uh, you know, if you like what we're doing, Please subscribe, rate, and review us. You got to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to review us, and you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. And just a reminder, if any of our listeners would like their questions answered on our show, we're giving away stuff uh, for the shout outs and all this other stuff. So y'all, y'all get your questions in to have them answered on our show. You can send your question 
questions to info at elkbros.com. That's I-N-F-O at elkbros.com. And like we say down here in the Lone Star State, husbands, kiss your wives, wives, kiss your husbands, hug your babies, keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. Powder dry. We'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Whoop, whoop. And for all our grinders out there, here's some more music from our brother Tony Wintrip to close out the show. Peace, peace, everybody. See you guys. I'll make my living working east of town. Late nights in the summer till the sun goes down. I can't stop thinking about how my life's changed. But I'm still the same as I was young I peeled them bark trees one by one Made a couple of dollars Built my gas tank once And I left my high school Barely made it by But I found my way back Oh, how time flies Living Northwest wild Fishing is my kind of style. I float the wine she when it gets hot. I'm proud of all the things that I've got. I'm digging the moss back up in the sand. And after work, a cold beer in my hand. Picking wild berries off God's land. And drinking my buddies home.
Now 